Welcome to Season 5 of Where Does Food, the food history podcast that has five seasons all day, Chef. All day, Chef. Yes, Chef. Thank you. Heard on five seasons all day, Chef. Thank you, Chef. Thank you, Chef. I'm your host, Timmy Longbottoms, and with me, as always, is your other host. L Shortbottoms. L Shortbottoms. L Shortbottoms. How are you doing? Hey, about about a swing. We're doing pretty good, Tim. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I've had two beers. Uh, oh, great. Okay, yeah. We've got a little... <laughs> doing fantastic. We've had two beers. It's a good a night. Uh, we started season five. Wow. Which is big height. Yeah. That means n- new music at the top, new stings, new music at the back end. We got some fun ideas in the works. I'm pumped, man. I'm, I'm excited for this season. Truly, truly excited. Today, we're talking about restaurants, L. Tim, I'm pumped. Tell me, I, I patron them and, all the time. Yeah. And it's a questionnaire episode. We all love the questionnaire episodes. Perfect. That's right, baby. We're back. We're trying to get Elle her accreditation for being a food historian like, that Perfect. doesn't actually exist. Solid. Um, I didn't study. Elle, do you like restaurants? I. Do you enjoy them? You know, I'm a fan of them. Like I said, I, I'll go hold them up. I will, I will be a patron of them. Some of them I have a bad experience yeah. in, some of them I have a great experience in them. So yeah, I like I like restaurants. I'm an absolute sucker for restaurants. I love them. <laughs> I love restaurants. And I'm not big on like going out, but like restaurants are really nice. I like bars as well. I'm a big Beer, big bar I like guy. an environment where I get to I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, I like the environment where I get to sit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sit ju- down and just chill, maybe get some food and have some drinks and enjoy some conversation. Uh, that's my style. Um, L, there are roughly 2,817 Michelin star restaurants in the world. Wow. Out of 2,817, where do you rate restaurants? Oh my goodness, man. Okay, out of 2,817, um, I would probably, let's go 2,200 and even 2,200. We've got a lot of space to grow. 2,200. I'm typing it down so we don't forget. Yeah, because that tends to happen, so I appreciate that. Or organized season five. Organized season <laughs> five. <laughs> We're crushing it. Uh, 2,200, that's a pretty high score. Um, right? Yeah, like you said, enjoy the, enjoy the experience. We'll see if I can change that. But before we do that, let's just take a quick little break, and then we'll come back and we'll get all into it. Sound good? I think so. I don't know what I don't know nothing about the restaurant business. Nothing. All I know is to sit down and order a meal. I don't know how to make a restaurant. No. L, let's get into the etymology. <laughs> Everyone's favorite time. It's the best time. Etymology. It's the best time. The word restaurant comes from the early 19th century. It is taken from the French word restaurer, which means provide food for and restore to a former state. Yeah. yeah it's all about rejuvenation uh so let's get to the questions that's right we're getting fast we're we're going hardball there's no all right yeah it's believed that the term restaurant may have been used before the early 19th century all the way back in 1507 Ooh, okay what did the word restaurant mean in 1507 was it a restorative beverage b restorative herbs c restorative sleep D, restorative, sp- restorative spa day. 
Ooh. That's that's hard. Um I'm gonna kinda go I'm gonna kinda go with B. The herbs. Cause it, Restorative herbs. Yeah, because that's a very good guess. Oh, the food. Uh, that is not it. it oh is, my god. It is it is A. I was being listen, I was being a little I was being a little sneaky on that. I was one. Sneaky. Herbs is closer. It's closer to food. Uh, the answer is A. It's restorative beverage. It is believed that the word restaurant could have been used as a term for restorative beverage. Interesting. Back in fifteen oh seven. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with that, but like you know, I guess that's why it's not that anymore. You know. Yeah. You know what? Me either. Yeah. I like the. Me either. And and you know, I think I'm gonna say that the term restaurant wasn't used until the early nineteenth century. How about that? Uh, I'll agree with that. Yeah. 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 When did we start eating out anyways? That's what we're here for. That's a great question. We're here to learn that is a great, the yeah. history of restaurants. Well, it turns out that people have been dining out for quite a while. Uh, a very early precursor to the restaurant is mentioned in a 512 BC record from ancient Egypt. It served a single dish. It was a plate of cereal grain, wildfowl, and onions. Um, another precursor is an establishment in ancient Greece and Rome. Of course. That sold ready-to-eat food and drink. Oh. Those establishments were known as thermopolium. Um, thermopolium? I don't know. That sounds, I mean. <laughs> do I look, do I I look like Ro- an ancient Greece and Rome doctor? Do I look Roman to you? <laughs> do I look do Roman I- to you? Kind of, actually. Um, <laughs> they were... Most used by people who lacked private kitchens. That's to say, poor people. Shout out to the peasants. Uh, and that tended... We're peasants, by the way. Uh, that tended to be people in the cities, which we both live in. We both live in a city. And to date, there have been 158 uh, thermopolium identified in Pompeii throughout the town. Uh, the Romans also had wine bars that oh, offered yeah. simple foods known as papina. Uh, the the papina were, or papine, as apparently it's also referred to as, were known as places for lower class citizens to mingle. So like, you need yes. to go up. You got some, got some ready made foods. Got some booze. Hang out with the homies. Hang out with the homies. It sounds like a great time, <laughs> man. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> At the forties, you know, you're <laughs> chilling out and a good time. <laughs> yeah, so that that's some of the early precursors. Now that doesn't that's not the most restaurant like. I even saw that like people likened that to some fast food stuff. I don't even know if that's necessarily really a thing. It yeah. just sort of sounds like we had some merchants. They were making some food because kitchens weren't available in households. It almost seemed like a necessity for uh, a town to function essentially was make to sure have the fed, ability yeah. to, yeah, to make sure people could eat food and, and have food uh, that you could come and buy and stuff like that. So, uh, but that's some of the early precursors to it, which is cool. Some of the first establishments that would be recognized as restaurants started in 1100 AD in China. So a wow. little bit further ahead in our in our in our timeline here, uh, the cities of. Kaifeng and Hangzhou had populations of more than 1 million each, which back in the day is kind of wild when you think about that. Um, yes. That's that's wild now. Fuck off. That's insane. A million yeah. people no, in a, million a place? People, yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> that's too many. Um, I can only imagine what the infrastructure of that looked like. Yeah, that's 
this is 1180. Right. I don't, like, what does that look like? That's what, what yeah. does that, what look, does that like? look like? Yeah. And uh, so during the Song Dynasty, trade between uh, these northern and southern capitals was a big deal. So, uh, yeah, these north and south capitals, and they were constantly trading back and forth. Uh, and the restaurants at the time were there mainly to serve travelers. So these restaurants would, it, it, for instance, if it was in the north, they would be serving southern food. And if it was in the uh, south, okay. they'd be serving, serving northern food. Um, which is kind of interesting that some of the earliest restaurants were ethnic restaurants. Right. They were essentially there to bridge a gap because that's what food does. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing that where that does true. food could uh, give to the world is that we can bridge gaps with our food. It's a way to bring people together, family, friends, strangers, nations, worlds. All right, I'm done with that. That was uh, good. That was good. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so... These uh, eateries were believed to be located, not believed, there. it's like we had kind of have evidence for this. Uh, they were located in lively districts with hotels, bars, brothels. So, it was a you know, great time. You have these busier, yeah, you have these busier blocks in the cities where people are staying, they're getting drunk, they're fucking, the whole nine, getting some good food, food that reminded them of their homeland. So, you know, good time. And according to Chinese documents from the era, there were actually uh, quite a bit of variety amongst the restaurants. Ooh. So okay. you could get some different things. You could get some dim sum at one. You know, you could kind of switch Peruse, things around. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, and at the larger and fancier restaurants, you would see pre-plated demonstration dishes. Apparently, upwards to like 100 pre-demonstrated no dishes. No way. They were doing that then? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Which is like an early version of the menu, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like you've like you can sometimes see ple uh eh, Jesus Christ, get it together. Pre-plated <laughs> demonstration dishes. Um still today. But this almost seems like it was as an uh, sort of a menu. Being like, hey, this is what we offer type stuff. Which is interesting. The idea of just making that much food and just kind of keeping it out. You would uh also be greeted by a theatrical team of waiters. Oh, yeah, you got dinner and a show. Which brings us to our next question. Oh, no. What made the waiters theatrical? Oh. Is it A, they would do interpretive dance while they gave you your food? Okay. B, they would sing the orders to the kitchen staff as you ordered? C, they doubled as a sick band and would play music as you dined? D, they didn't do any theatrics because why the heck would you do that? Oh, shoot fire. <laughs> I'm like, is it actually D? There's no... <laughs> I'm like, I feel like it'd be too chaotic to just yell, to sing orders back out to the kitchen like that. <laughs> no, unless it's actually it, dude. I don't know. You got multiple... Could you imagine? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm like, maybe, maybe C. Maybe we had dinner and, and music. Oh, you were so close. So technically, they did have dinner and music, but it was that they would sing the orders to no the kitchen. Way. The answer is B. Yes, Chinese idiotic, manuscripts. Dude. It's nuts. The Chinese manuscripts explain that a waiter took their orders, then stood in line in front of the kitchen, and when his turn came, sang out his orders to those in the kitchen. Oh, so it wasn't even in front of the yeah. See, Yeah, no. I was thinking yeah. that they were singing it in front of the oh, table, like, like in front of, you know, we just put the order in and they're like, no, hey, 
let me get a <laughs> ding, 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 and then like you know yeah. get on pitch and go. No, they went into the kitchen and they're like, "Hey, check this out." Yeah, wow. They put down a sick. They put down a sick track for their home. Put a sick in the back. beat. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. By the way, neither virgin is fine. Could you imagine if you went to a restaurant today? And you put your order in, and then the waiter just like left, and you just heard him in the back be like, We got a brisket for table seven. No, like you would be like, What, what is, is happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, no shot is that dude singing my orders to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that's what's happening. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I'll take the loss on that one. So, we're going to go to Japan. In Japan, very briefly, in Japan during the 16th century, restaurant culture started developing out of tea houses. Ooh, um, okay. Tea house owner Sin no Raiku, I think that's his name, Riku, created a multi-course meal tradition known as kaiseki. Uh, this meal would have tasting menus, um, and it was crafted to tell a story of a particular place and season. Um, uh, Raiku's grandsons expanded the tradition to include specialty serving dishes and cutlery to match the food being served. Mm, wow, okay. So pretty cool back in the Quite 16th the century. Yeah. We're getting some like experience culinary yeah. in. I mean, that's yeah, like this is someone taking their time and curating an experience for their guests. I mean, it's a big deal. A big that's deal. kind of nuts. So, Europe. Let's get there. <laughs> West. Around the same time as Japan. As you can imagine, Europe has a big role to play, specifically France. Of course. Um, around yeah, around the same time as Japan during curated dining experiences, a popular communal family-style meal was popular in Europe. This type of meal was eaten in public with friends and strangers and served only once a day at 1 p.m. Um, there was no menu and no choice. So it wasn't exactly like a restaurant, <laughs> uh, and it was pretty much left up to the cook of the inn to decide what was going to be served. So you'll find in early restaurant world inns uh, and taverns and things like that were uh, kind of the kind of the places and spaces that would also serve food. And so this is kind of where food and restaurant culture would develop was in those sure. spaces. Um, wow, okay. Yeah. And so during- It was like a buffet style? Well, like it, that particular one meal a day thing wasn't, a, it was literally like a bit, imagine the last supper type of thing. It was literally like- Oh, wow. You would buy a seat, shit ton of food, yeah. essentially. And if you didn't and you missed the meal, you wouldn't get any. But like if you bought in and you would go to the place, you would be able to sit down and eat this meal that was- curated by uh, uh, the cook of the inn or wherever you were staying uh, at the time. And during the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, uh, inns, like I said, were typically uh, the ones who offer food alongside a place to stay um, and alcohol and also these communal meals. So that's kind of what their purpose was at the time. Mostly used by peasants at the time, obviously, Again, of course, not yeah. every place had kitchens. Um, so when you're talking about being able to get a meal and going places to get a meal, gonna be this is where you're gonna be able to. You do don't that, have yeah. cooks to make it for you, so you gotta go no. do that. Yeah, um, yeah. And in Spain, these types of places were called bodegas. 
<laughs> no yeah. way. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. And then bodegas. Cook shops uh, were also common in European cities during the Middle Ages. Cook shops would serve a bunch of different foods such as pies, sauces, fish, and other meats. Uh, people could either buy ready-made food or bring their own food to be cooked. Again, big in cities, big for peasants. Not everyone had kitchens. You live in a wonderful time. Look around and enjoy the fact that you have a <laughs> kitchen. Because <laughs> um, it literally right, no, wasn't right. a thing. So, like I said, it's useful in cities um, because at the time, only large private homes had kitchens. Food would also be served at uh, cabarets. If you don't know what a cabaret is, it's pretty much just like theatrical shows, just like more in a quaint setting, not like a big, big show. Think of uh, burlesque, but maybe not as, you know, risque. Mm, There you go. Okay. Yeah. But there's, you know, dancing, stuff like that. So... Food was popular, uh, served in cabarets at ta- and it, it was actually um, cabarets became a really big focal point because at a cabaret uh, you had a table with tablecloths and people were charged for their choice of dish rather than by the pot, which was traditional at the time. Oh, that We'd is it. Charged yeah. by this big portion as opposed to being able to choose like an individual dish. So there was a specific. Uh, niche that the cabarets played in the the development of what would end up becoming a restaurant for the European world. Um, wow, that shift, yeah. Which, oddly, the two worlds not connected, uh, it doesn't seem like they had any influence, at least for what we know now. Like, I mean, it's crazy to think that, like, China and Japan had these whole things going on restaurant-wise, and Europe, even though they kind of get there, it doesn't seem like it comes from any right. influence at all, which is pretty pretty nuts. I mean, we're almost used to the complete fucking opposite, where it's pretty much mm-hmm. through trade and war and shit like that, it, you you develop things as it goes along. But this is, uh, at least to what we know, is not the case. And so, yeah, like I said, they become uh, known as a more lively place to eat because you get uh, some entertainment uh, and you also just, in general, get a nicer setting. Again, it's a nice table with a tablecloth. Yeah. And, like, there's just a, there's an aspect to it. There's a a service to it, if uh, if you will. So, cafes, <laughs> by the way. There were cafes. Um, cafes? Yeah, there were also cafes that existed at the time. We've mentioned this in the coffee episode for sure. Um Sure. 1672 is when the first cafe opened in Paris, um, and by 1723, there were nearly 400 cafes in Paris, which is pretty nuts. That's wild. Yeah, pretty yeah. nuts. Uh, but their menus weren't, uh, weren't nearly as extravagant. Obviously, it mostly dealt with beverages such as uh, coffee, tea, um, chocolate. As you've also mentioned on the chocolate episode, chocolate was actually consumed as a beverage before it was ever consumed as a chocolate bar. We've talked about chocolate. Go check out that episode. We mentioned that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it, but that's kind of what cafes were for. It was for you to drink all these uh, different things. And they would offer, they would offer some, you know, some pastries, things like that, but nothing too insane. But, it should be mentioned, no. cafes and tea houses, as I mentioned earlier, they were places where you got to sit and enjoy each other's companies and maybe have a little small yeah. bite. So, uh, France, as I mentioned. France. France has a deep old history with restaurants. Um, 
Do you like my <laughs> you like my French accent? Expect yeah, I did absolutely <laughs> expect nothing less yeah. from the the food capital of the world, right? Yeah, um, allegedly. I think we know at this point. Uh, the first French <laughs> restaurants to open were based around being health food shops and sold a lot of one particular dish known as bouillon or a bone broth. I'm sure you've heard the word no. bouillon before. What? Yes. Yeah. Um, that is just... Like a chicken bouillon. Yeah, it's just a bone broth traditionally. Um mm-hmm. Consume, if you will. Uh, um, Ooh, yeah, so yes. it's just a, um, and obviously, listen, we still believe, well, I think we kind of know that broths are good for you, and we still believe in that type of stuff. Yeah, but back absolutely. then, it was a big deal, and that's kind of where the first restaurants came from, was uh, were these quote unquote health food shops. But before we dive further into that, sure. On to our third question, L. When did the first rest- French restaurant open? Was it A, 1765 or 1766, history's tricky. Was it B, 1799, the end of the French Revolution? C, 1789, the beginning of the French Revolution? Or D, 2016, the French actually have no food history at all and just recently opened up a restaurant for the first time. The entire world has been lying this whole time about their food prowess. D, obviously. No, um... (laughs) I'm like kind of torn between, um, what was the first date? What was A again? Uh, A was 1765 or 1766. Like I said, you know, history is okay. interesting. Uh, B is 1799, which is the end of the French Revolution. And C is 1789, which is the beginning of the French Revolution. Let's go with A. A is the correct answer. Wow. Who would have thought? Yeah. Wow. You see those streamers going? While it was believed at one time that the first French restaurants uh, popped up after the French Revolution due to out-of-work gourmet chefs of the guillotined aristocracy, we now know that that the first French restaurant uh, opened in 1765 or 66. Like I said, history's hard. Um, But we believe... Uh, we believe the rise of the Bouillon restaurant, as it was known, was due to the growing Enlightenment era among the wealthy merchant class in Paris. Wow. So they're pushing bone broth. It's like, this is the... This is the story of a girl of who got the ribbons around. Okay. Uh, whole, uh, <laughs> DMCA. Uh. The idea is that you can show knowledge and sensitivity by not eating foods associated with the common folk, peasants, such as bread. Sausage and onion. Shut up. Oh my God. So, insert bouillon. Um, How pretentious. Okay. Yeah. On top of capitalizing on the Enlightenment era, they also functioned much more like a restaurant in the sense of having menus, nice seating, and they actually had some wait staff. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's new. Yeah. This is also when chefs started taking the title. Traitors and restaurateurs. So um, they actually started to, and that's a hyphenated title, by the way. Uh, So they started to take on that title. And in 1786, as we creep further into uh, that century, the Provost of Paris issued a decree giving the restaurant official status, um, authorizing restaurateurs to stay open, serving meals until 11 in the winter, 
and Midnight in the Summer. Um, yes. So, yes. and I know this sounds weird because we live in a society with like, <laughs> like law books and a lot of politicians, but there's a point where like, this was all just like families, right? Like monarchies. So they just like set decrees right. out and they gave statuses to things. So yes, it's interesting to read it, it is, that yeah. way. But yeah, they what they essentially did was say, you guys can stay open and serve people until 11 during the winter months and then until uh, midnight during the summer months. And so that's how that worked. The first luxury restaurant in Patty was... La Grande t- Tavern des Londres. Here's the deal. I don't speak French. Laundry? No, I'm just kidding. Here's the deal. I don't speak yeah. French. But does La Grande Tavern des Londres mean the Grand Lounge Tavern? <laughs> Is that what that means? Because it sort of sounds like that's what it's that means. It's definitely what it sounds like. Um, but I'm like, that would make sense, though. We've got this. We're the Grand Tavern. Yeah. Come on down. Um. It, it was opened the same year by um, Antoni uh, Beauvilliers, the former chef of the Count of Provence. Sorry if the I... The Count? Oh, yeah, okay. sorry if I fucked that all up, but I mean, you know, it's French. <laughs> I'm not good at that <laughs> language. Um, in many cases, this is considered to be the first true restaurant. Again, let me just say that the other restaurants I mentioned are... They are, in fact, restaurants. But uh, the reason why this is considered the first true restaurant is because it combines elegance, organized waitstaff, a big cellar, and superior cooking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My God, they put it all together. Um, Yeah, so this is considered one of the one of the first like true true restaurants. But whatever, fuck them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So. Post the French Revolution, there was indeed a boom in restaurants. So that old tale. Yes, post war time. Okay. Yeah, so the old tale that the first French restaurants came post um, French Revolution isn't necessarily on, you know, no basis at all. It's just that, you know, there were just a big in, uh, yeah. influx of them. So, uh, yeah, these these out of work talented chefs, uh, they had to they had to create some some money for them themselves. So all their bosses just got beheaded. So now they opened up some restaurants <laughs> and uh, to figure out some way to make money. Yeah, that's what they did. They started opening up restaurants. Um, and I, I just that's kind of France in a nutshell, which is a big deal. That's a big deal. They it's like a lot. Ha- yeah, yeah, a lot of things happen in France. Created a fine dining experience. Like I mean, we're talking mahogany tables, tablecloths, big cellars, good cooks, the wait staff, wait staff waiting on you coming out and be like, "Hey, what do you fucking want?" You know, they're doing the whole nine. Uh, obviously, probably a little bit more like you know flowery than that, but that's French. That's my personal dining experience that I like. So that's how I. Chose to. That's my personal. Hey, what do you hey, fucking the want? Staff what sing. do you fucking want? Get out of my face. That's my personal <laughs> experience. Um, Sounded like the lady from Monsters Inc. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Wazowski. Um, yes. <laughs> what are they selling? Um, now I'm just doing voices. <laughs> I can't stop. Uh, so uh, before we move on from France, I just want to note that they did create this system of restaurants. Now, most people 
may have gotten uh, introduced to this due to all the incredible like chef and cooking shows and movies that have come out a lot recently and just in, yeah. the, in general the explosion of cooking uh, entertainment uh, via cable television all that stuff um, but in 1898 the Hotel Ritz in Paris opened uh, that's right the same one um, with chef I'm gonna say Augusta Escoffier he's one uh, he's the one that codified the brigade system if you watched uh Hulu's the bear, uh, you'll know what that is. Um, but if you haven't, let me help you. <laughs> um, the brigade system is uh, a way to break down um, things by course and assign to specific stations and chefs to maximize the team's efficiency. And when I say chefs, I just mean Ooh, professional okay. cooks because that's what the term chef means, by the way. It just means prof- yeah, chef. It just means professional cook. Um, and it's a term of respect in in when you're talking to other professional cooks so when you hear people say herd chef things like that they're just giving respect to someone who has chosen to cook professionally so the brigade system consists of chef executif or executive chef chef de cuisine kitchen lead fun fact about this um executive chef and kitchen lead so these two roles typically have merged into one. Uh, it depends on your restaurant. Ooh, okay. It depends on your restaurant. All this depends on your restaurant. So the higher and more fine dining you get, the the, the, the more these roles come into play because you have so much going on. But the more you break down and kind of create more casual experiences, the less you need each individual sure. task. Okay. Yeah. You don't necessarily need an executive chef and a kitchen lead. Sometimes you can just get away with doing both. Like the, they can do the both at the same time. Not a big deal. Then there's the sous chef de cuisine, which is known as sous chef. Um, then there's the chef de partie, which is known as a line cook. Now the chef de partie can be any line cook. That any line cook does not matter. Um, there are more specific titles depending on, again, the restaurant, right? Like if if mm-hmm. you're a pastry chef, your chef. Uh, you're chef de partie, but you're like a patissiere, essentially. Like, uh, if you work on cold treats, it's glacier. So, like, you have your your different roles, well, yeah. but you're all considered line cooks. You're all considered chef de partie. Then there's commis chef, which is junior chef. Um, so, again, junior chefs, if you have a kitchen as a junior chef, you're probably doing a lot. Um <laughs> You're, you're probably pretty functional, like very traditional type of, of French kitchen. Um, I've never personally worked in a kitchen that has quote unquote junior chefs. So I, I have no clue. Um, and then there's the plongeur, which is a dishwasher. Yes, they are a part of the team and they deserve respect. Um, as for the front of house, there is the wait staff, the bus boys, the maitre d' hotel, which is the head waiter. Um, now in fancy places, the, the major D hotel is the go-to in your front. Think of it like a front of house manager almost. Um, okay. that's what you would probably see if you were job hunting in the States, you would see like front of house manager. It's just someone who needs to like create the ambiance. They are the go-to when it comes to ensuring that the vibe is right. And then you have the sommelier, which is a wine waiter. We know what a sommelier is. And then, obviously, depending, like I said, depending on the type of restaurant, some of these positions may or may not be needed. So they can 
fluctuate. There's also like streamlines, and, and I yeah. didn't even mention there's also like hostess and a host, right? Like there's also like someone who right. just has that position, like they just straight up host people and like as they come in. So there's a bunch of different stuff, um, but that's sort of like what was created uh, at the time to create a more structured. Wow. Now, um, this brigade system has come under fire, um, actually specifically in the bear, uh, but just in general, there's been kind of a lot of. This is just like in the world of restauranting. There's been some kickback on this stuff just because like it can be kind of harsh and cruel um, and just like it kind of can dehumanize people. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. it can get really intense and, and kind of weird. And food's a beautiful thing and doesn't deserve to be that. So, yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, I don't, I've never worked in like a hardcore French setting. So, like, I'm not going to act like I have that experience. Um, but from, you know, what I've, what I've heard and what I've seen and read, apparently it can just be like real, real tough. Um, which is a bummer because you should, I mean, you're not going to love every day in the kitchen. It's hard work, but like you should in general want to, to hope you can find yeah, some sure. joy in doing that thing. You know, people that, absolutely people that want to work in food, hate their lives half the time. So it's, you know, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> so time to talk about the States. Yeah, United States of America. USA. It wouldn't be until the late 18th century that establishments would provide meals without also providing lodging. Um, and that was really only done in the big cities, uh, which is nuts. Wow. You kind of forget yeah. how young America is until you start looking I at know. this type of shit. They popped up as coffee shops and oyster houses early on. We love that. Yeah. Staples. Yeah, hey, we've talked about both. Go listen to them. They're good. Never stop plugging. Uh, the term restaurant didn't appear until the 19th century in the States. What the fuck? Young. Young. At the time, these restaurants would take on their regional names, i.e. eating housing, uh, eating house in New York City, uh, restaurator in Boston, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but the number of restaurants would grow and eventually we would get our very own fine dining restaurant in 1827 known as known as Delmonico's. Delmonico's? Okay. Uh, what is Delmonico's? To our fourth question, L. Oh, Tim. In what city was Delmonico's opened? Was it A, Philadelphia? Was it B, Chicago, Ooh. Great American City? Was Ooh. it C, Great American City? New York City? Was it D, it never had a brick and mortar, and it was only an online restaurant. D. <laughs> no, um, okay. It's actually just your favorite restaurant, and just like one menu item off that restaurant, and you just order that yeah. one thing. No, um, I'm leaning towards uh, B or C. C. You going to say C? Could you read that off again for me? Yeah. need to double confirm my answer. Read New York open. City. Yeah. I'm going to go with New York City. Good choice. The answer is C. Woo. Delmonico's opened New York in Manhattan. And the menu featured wild game, fresh produce from a farm owned by the restaurant, and French style cooking. Wow. And it actually remained open until very recently where it shut down in twenty twenty due to the COVID nineteen no. financial struggles. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty rough. Um it's pretty tragic, yeah. Apparently, it, there was a fire early on in its life, but it opened up in a newer spot with, like, better digs in, like, the 1830s. Um, and, I mean, it, it almost shuttered a lot 
during its lifetime. I mean, of course you'd have to. It's very old. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, we're going to fast forward a bit. Something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, which is Prohibition. Our favorite. Something that I feel like we've touched on, but maybe we haven't talked a lot about it, is the fact that when Prohibition went into effect in 1920, fine dining restaurants shuttered due to the lack of alcohol sales, which helped balance their books. Fine dining restaurants are expensive to operate, and they would make more of their money on cheap alcohol that they could sell uh, for decent pricing. You made a lot of your money back on that. Your food profit was higher. Um, But unfortunately, when they didn't have alcohol to help their sales, uh, they shuttered. And that would actually change restaurant culture in America quite a bit because more casual experiences took their places. Such as cafeterias. Oh, wow. Okay. Caf- the shift, yeah, yeah. Cafeterias, road stops, diners. Yeah, we know all these. Obviously, luxury restaurants would make their way back uh, in time, but it would be after the Great Depression, um, which we've talked uh, about plenty of times. And even after that, was be post-war. Obviously, we've talked about the post-war boom in the world of food. So you would see that slow climb back after the Great Depression, but then even further after that, uh, after the rations would kind of lift and things got to a more luxurious time and we could all spend more time talking about that. And we've also talked plenty about this, but at the time um, in the, the 50s and 60s, cars became more available uh, we started, you know, housing started booming in the suburbs, right? All that stuff started going on. We're not going to get into like white flight and all that nonsense, but what I'm <laughs> getting at is that traveling started happening more. So these, uh, obviously we've talked about McDonald's, McDonald's blew up. We've talked about White Castle, which was actually like the OG of OGs when it came to the fast first. food, man. There were five cent hamburgers and they were crushing them out. It wasn't until, uh... Mr. Croc took over McDonald's that it really started to, to boom over. But obviously they had a massive, massive impact on the world um, and on this country specifically. So um, but so all that stuff happened during the post-war. Um, obviously before, but just meaning explosion-wise. Definitely happened, yeah. And here's a big thing that happened in the States when it comes to restaurants. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 desegregated the country and caused a lawsuit to go forward involving restaurant owners um not only restaurant owners but restaurant owners were involved in it uh but the but scotus held that congress acted within its power under the commerce clause of the u.s constitution in forbidding racial discrimination in restaurants so um yeah the civil rights act passes a suit goes uh against saying that you know that was uh unconstitutional or whatever the fucking suit was saying, essentially just being like, you can't force us to do this. And then the uh, Supreme Court said they can't actually, the Commerce Clause uh, allows them to. By the 90s, casual family dining chain restaurants became the dominant dining out experience in America. (laughs) That's right, baby. We're talking Red Lobster. We're talking Chili's. We're talking Fridays. (laughs) Born of the 90s. At the 90s, it was TGI Fridays, but now it's called just Fridays. We're talking Cheddar Scratch Chicken. We're talking about (laughs) uh, Ruby Tuesdays. We're talking about Ryan's Steakhouse. We're talking about, what's another one? Uh, good Joe's Crab Shack. We're talking about the Goat Olive Garden. That's right. We're talking about the Olive Garden. We're talking about the Olive Garden. That's right. You you handled the you handle the 
podcast, we'll handle the Alfredo. All is garbage. There you go. We're talking about when you hear your family. By the nineties, uh, by the nineties, that they took over. Vin Diesel and Olive Garden took over. Uh, <laughs> Family. Yes, thank they, you. No, they took over uh, in the nineties. When you're here, you're Vin Diesel. And I think that can kind of, I think we can see uh, all those restaurants are everywhere all the time. Uh, their popularity has faded a bit. We've kind of gone back. I mean, sure. fast casual yeah. restaurants really rose to prominence yep. uh, in the aughts. Um, and, and then in the uh, in the tens, uh, and yeah, now that we've gone through COVID nineteen and all that stuff, you know, you're I don't know. There's the world of food is is ever shifting and moving right now. Uh, people are wanting to shop more local. People are loving to, to yeah. dine local right now. Pop up kitchens are real big. Ghost kitchens have gotten bigger. Ghost kitchens are kitchens where you operate out of a uh, another kitchen, but you sell different menu items only online. So you've seen a lot of those. Um, I don't know there's a lot of that stuff kind of going on right now, um, and we'll kind of see where that falls. I mean, the tens had a big fast. Uh, the tens had a big food truck boom um, that has yeah, kind did. of dwindled away. Um, it's still a thing, but it's just not as like a. It's not as big. Um, no, there's tons of stuff going on, but uh, that all comes off the backs of that. You know, over. Uh, I don't know how to put it right. Like it's just like. Making restaurants just a terrible, awful uh, experience by making them the most boring thing on the planet. It's just like, yes, just like I. But you know, I do like the Olive Garden. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact: the breadsticks. Uh, breadsticks, fire, fire's fuck. I don't care what it says. Three point three percent of the nation's workforce is composed of restaurant workers. Fun fact: um, that's a lot of people. And wow, before yeah. COVID nineteen, the NRA. The National Restaurant Association uh, estimated restaurant sales of $899 billion. That's right, Mr. Powers. That's with a B. Billion dollars. Listen, I'm going to... This is... Holy cow, man. This is my restaurant episode. I... This episode was going to be, like, too long. Um, I have... (laughs) uh, It was going to be too long. No, I... This is not going to be the end of restaurants... Completely, Whoa. we will. We will. Like, it's not going to be a two-parter. I'm not going to have something right after this. Uh, that I am going to curate um, a different type, uh, a different type of episode that is very much heavily involved, but not only with restaurant uh, food safety, but it's going to deal with trash created by the food industry and restaurants. Oh, yeah, but food safety in general. So it's it just isn't restaurants solely restaurant specific right because not done yet because food safety deals with everything right it deals with our factories it deals with all the manufacturing it's same with food waste but restaurants have that side uh to them as well i just didn't feel like i need like i wanted to get into that for this one because it feels more like it should be involved with that one so i i got stuff planned we'll come back around and talk about restaurant stuff especially when it comes to food yeah. safety especially when it comes to trash and and how uh disposable trash and all this stuff has changed and evolved over time again but i just want let me note before i i'm gonna get off my high horse here for the love <laughs> of god for the love of god listen i know I, i've recently especially recently i've just been like overly like toxically positive about it nothing's bad. listen i know we all have our problems there's a lot of stuff <laughs> in the world that's bad but for the love of God, 
next time you go into a restaurant, I want you to stop and think for five seconds how many restaurants you go to without thinking twice about whether what you're going to get is going to get you sick or not. And I need you to just, Ooh, I need you to live okay. with that. Live with this thought of, wow, I can go 99.9% .9 of the time, I can go to almost any restaurant right now in the United States and you really truly aren't worried about it. You're not worried about getting sick and I just need you to fucking That's live so with right. that. And yeah. I'll tell you what, if you are listening to this and you're in a and you're in a spot that ha in a country that happens to be relatively wealthy, that's a thing that I you guys got to recognize and understand that because uh, it's a brilliant thing. Again, brilliant thing. Is there more we can do? Yeah. Absolutely. But just live on that. Restaurants are a fucking world wonder. The fact that we've created this system that universally is like safe to eat at is phenomenal. That's it. That's my horrors. Yeah. L, that's restaurants. Um, that's fantastic, Tim. That's restaurants. You gave it a 2200. 2, Where are you at now? I'm going to bump that up. I'm going to bump that up to 265. 20 2650. 65. Pretty high. Pretty hot. We like restaurants. Pretty I'm I'm I guess jumping the gun here. I'm pretty impressed about how like fascinated by how it started and how for the most part we were only able to have these massive meals at 1 p.m. If you were there, you're there. If you weren't, you weren't. <laughs> yeah. If you did, how that's day. morphed. <laughs> and you had France and say, hey, pause, fine dining. What of it? Let's try it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, you talk about how it came back around when you're in United States, post-World War II, the boom, people have more money, people are back home. Um there's a state of prosper and immigration's happening so people are opening restaurants that remind them of home kind of what you said beforehand in japan yeah i believe yeah um and north and south so it's really interesting to kind of see how all of that came about and to what food is now and the state of it and to your to your point how it's ever evolving and seeing where it's going to be um maybe not even in the next 10 to 15 years but even in the next five to seven years yeah yeah that's I, we're not doing the final thoughts thing. That was a season four. That was a season four stick. I'll come up with a new stick halfway through this season, <laughs> and uh, we'll figure it out. But on par, yeah. I'll tell you what, guys. If you uh, are listening to that music uh, that just kicked in, because it's the end of this episode of season five, episode one, that was made by me and Austin Martin. That's right. Austin Martin is how is, cool. Uh, Austin Martin's here. He's back. He's in your house. The calls come from in the house. Um, no, it's, uh, <laughs> guys, you can check him out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts under our Apple Podcasts. The fuck am I talking about? Apple Music. Uh, you can find <laughs> you can find him uh, under Meridian Sky. Uh, he's got some good stuff, man. He's fucking jam banging Definitely out. Stuff, no, he's yeah. doing great. He's he's fantastic, guys. You can check us out on the internet. We're around about. We live exist. You can check us out on Twitter uh, at. Where does food? You can check me out on Instagram. Um, you can check me out at Tim uh, underscore and underscore Winston. That's my Instagram. You can check L out at L Chapo with three underscores in between L and the Chapo on the Bird app. On the Bird app, guys. Yep, still there, still there. We are 
not on Anchor anymore. Uh, you can find us on Acast. Uh, guys, you can check out. I didn't expect that, did you? You can guys check us out on our website at shows.acast.com forward slash where does food. Um, you can also become a member. Uh, that's right. We that's are right. doing. Um, we are doing a, a thing where if you pay five dollars a month, you get ad free episodes as well as a full day early. That's right. We release. Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. We're releasing on Tuesdays uh, for the main feed, but if you fucking pay five dollars, we'll slip you an episode at Monday. Well, some, some. That's right. A full twenty four hours in advance. Um, We'll get it to you. Don't you worry about it. Uh, also, as far as the ad-free episodes go, uh, you'll get ad-free episodes going forward. I'm also going to backlog uh, all the episodes from seasons past, and I will upload those ad-free as well. So if you ever want to re-listen to the episodes but don't want to listen to me ramble on about things like fucking, you know, uh, energy drinks, you don't have to. You can just <laughs> listen to that. Um so, yeah, you can do that at uh, plus.acast.com forward slash s forward slash where does food. Guess what, guys? You don't have to remember that. You can literally look in the uh, episode description or in our oh, perfect or in our about section on pretty much any podcast catcher that you uh, enjoy because that's in our uh, about section now. The, it's the, the website, now. our uh, internet connections and where you can become a member at all there so you can check that all out um, again in the podcast description or not you can also check out the show notes in the podcast description that will all be there as well so ACAST is our new home uh, I'm excited about it you can Bumped. yeah yeah. you can pretty much find us uh, as far as podcast wise you can pretty much find us wherever you get your podcast that also now includes amazon music which is pretty cool um that's awesome yeah, yeah. i don't know if we were there the entire time on anchor but i double checked to make sure we were there now so if we were great if we are now even better um even better even better guys an easy simple way to support the show without throwing money at us is to rate the podcast that's right you can give us five stars any less we will find you we will hunt you down we will harm you i'm kidding (laughs) we won't do any of that that's insane why would anyone do that seriously just rate the show uh give us five stars it's wonderful uh to do so it helps with the algorithm um also just force people to listen to us word of mouth is a huge thing uh it's a big deal so yeah so do that. Those are easy ways to support us. I'm pretty sure that's the plugs. That's the brand new plugs, which is uh, some new. That's it. Yeah. New, you hit them all. new information that I had to get out. Um, but yeah, that's all she wrote. Solid. Season five, episode one, baby. We're back in the books. Have a good one. <laughs>